This is Beyond Marie, and you're listening to Hoobazoo.com. Welcome to Milano Leather at the South Shore Plaza in Braintree, where you can shop Estradinaire clothing, local urban fashion wear for men, women, and children. your way here for Estradinaire's winter blowout sale. As we get ready for spring, you can also receive 50% off of all furs and leathers in the store. So come and enjoy the experience and shop Estrada. At Audios, our engineers have created a breakthrough in wireless loudspeakers. We developed a new way to experience sound. Audios, the future of loudspeakers. Hi, I'm Eric Young, the co-founder and CEO of Audios, and we're building the first fully wireless loudspeakers for venues and event spaces. With Audios, all you have to do is place the speakers where you want them and press the power button. The speakers automatically build their own wireless network, connect to each other, and start streaming. That means you have zero cables and zero cable replacements. A 300-person event that would take one hour to set up only takes 10 minutes with Audios. Our wireless speaker doesn't need Bluetooth, a Wi-Fi router, and has two patents granted. To learn more, go to republic.co forward slash audios. For a limited time only, anyone can invest and become a part owner. We don't know why. We need Kong. The world needs him. There can't be two Alpha Titans. In theaters and on HBO Max, March 31st, rated PG-13. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? This is blasphemy. This is madness. This is a booth. Staring down, looking at the blood stained concrete. Hear the dead MC flying at my feet. You took a nine millimeter rhyme straight to your mind. Damn, my better split. This is my time, so I make my way up the block. Get to home base and lock that. Oh. Crack the Cavassier and grab the phone. 
Kawana and troops up. Host the soldiers when he says, Yo, what's up? What's going on? Make it quick, cause I'm trying to get my stellar on. Go. Yo, girl, I'm in the. These lyrical assassins tried to pull a hit, and then boom, came a noise from the other room. It was the boys in blue with the SWAT crew. They got us locked up for lyrical murder. It's one of them charges that you never heard of. It's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, we're killing all your podcasts like the HIV virus. You want to battle this kid? Huh, don't even try this. Back the uh. up, think again, count to ten. You want to grab that mic just to get done in? It's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. Was he African? African. African. No. He was American and he was like you. He looked just like you. He was Jewish. Just Wait, like okay. you. Jew. Okay. It's an odd crime for a Jew to yeah, commit. I'm pretty docile. Okay, so we have an African Jew wearing a hoodie. No, you don't. No. no, that's not what I said. Is that what you heard me say? I said he looked like you. Do you look like an African Jew? No, I look like a cock. Yeah. <sighs> he was Caucasian. All right, your boy Sinister One broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening to the booth. We got a lot of people in the chat. Ty Hunt in the chat. Dave Haggerty in the chat. Chuck Sliney in the chat. We've got Viana Marie in the chat. We've got our guest on with us right now. I got a special guest host on with me right now. But before we get into this show, I got to thank my guest from last week, Jill Sheridan, who came on the show and spoke openly last week about the Bridgewater Rally. Um, that was held over at the Legion Field. Now, the Bridgewater Rally was promoted as being this Freedom Rally, but they ended up having Mark Sahady and they had Nancy Ianey speak at this event, and they were pushing that whole stolen vote agenda and all this stuff. And for those who don't remember that these two people were capital insurrectionists on February 6th, they had all types of Trump memorabilia and all types of flags and stuff it was just it was just a horrible thing so i want to thank her for coming on the show and talking openly about this because turtle boy went after her and is trying to get her job and trying to get her fired as a teacher um out there in mansfield so i'm just showing us important thanking jill for coming on the show and i wish a a ton of luck um i gotta get into my sponsor mdb electronics michael douglas barretto for fixing my xbox controllers when need to be done 24 hours Turn around 48 hours at the most. I'm back to gaming. Got to mention my cousin's clothing shop, rebelrom.com, and uh, Target Tactical Target Systems. That's when I go down to the range and you see those zombies that I use. And my artist, Viana Marie, you heard some of her music. Big ups to my man, Jason Andrade, a.k.a. Mr. Melodic, who's affiliated with Bone Thugs and Harmony. We went to his birthday party the other night. Viana Marie and us were there in the VIP holding it down. Check out Viana Marie's music all over on streaming sites everywhere. Kevin Jeffries in the chat holding it down. But we got Shay Cotton on the show with us tonight. I got my man Marcel Smith. It's like a friggin' reunion up in here. Sports yes, page with Joe O'Neill. Shay Cotton has this film out right now. I watched it on Tubi already. It's free of charge. You can check it out on Tubi. It's called Manchild, the Shay Cotton story. Now, I got to give a big shout out to my man, Kevin Jeffries, who had Shea Cotton on his show 
just a little while back and I was like, you know what? I don't usually ask people for to come on my show that they've had as guests, but I remember back in like 95, maybe 96, my dad took me to see the high school shootout in, and I believe it was at UMass and it was the best high schoolers in the nation. And I believe I thought I saw Shea Cotton at this UMass event. You were there. Kevin Garnett was there. There was the... Oh my, talk about this, man. Just let's get right into this, man. Well, thanks for having me. First and foremost, Keith and Marcel, um, so Boston shootout was the biggest thing back then. You know, it was sponsored by Reebok uh, as well as Dunkin' Donuts. And we were actually running out of the Fleet Center at that time. That's the, the Boston oh, yeah. Garden, they had made that transition. And uh, that was one of the biggest uh, tournaments for us coming out of the West Coast out of California, you know, in the past. They didn't really have California teams coming through there. So I think it was like the second or third squad that got a chance to come out. And, you know, and our goal was to really compete and, and see if we could win it. Um, I believe I, I won the three-point shootout in the, in the Boston shootout that year. I think it was 1995 or 96. I can't remember exactly which one. But we had a world of competition. Boston had a really strong squad. They had good guard play. You know, some good wings. Uh, New York had a really strong team with Metta World Peace and Lamar Odom, a lot of guys that I grew up playing against. Uh, Chicago brought a team out. I believe Detroit had a team. Uh, Washington, D.C. All the main cities in North America that put out a lot of basketball talent, uh, they had a, they had a, a team representing their state. And uh, we, we were really competitive. Uh, we had the Collins Twins who wound up playing in the NBA and some other notable guys that all pretty much played D1 ball. But I think I was the guy that was pretty much head and shoulders above everybody else at that time. And, you know, for me, coming out of the West, I always wanted to prove myself typically in the East because at that time when I was growing up, we weren't getting a lot of a lot of love at that time. You know, now it's much different. California's got a ton of guys coming into the NBA. They're starting to see that, you know, we can really play on this side. But back then it was a novelty. And um, a lot of the guys that I were playing against were, were peers of mine through AAU basketball already. So we kind of knew each other, but I wanted to go out there and make my name and make my presence felt. And I feel like I did that and had a world, world of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think here the reason why I went was because um, I think Bill Curley's kid, who I worked with his dad at that time, I think Bill Curley's son was in that tournament at center that year um, for that for that tournament. Um, Marcel also remembers that, that, that yeah. game. Yes, I was there. Um, specifically, I remember the guys played against the Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, you torched Atlanta. You, uh, I, I left you mid. Man, you you gave Atlanta the bids. You went uh, one of your teammates, big boy. Um, man, you, got, you gave Atlanta the bids. Yeah, that was the Deion Clemens. He had a good team too. Yeah. So we've got Shea Cotton on here with us. He's going to talk about this film. Man, child, and I, I want to get want to get into this interview because there's a, there's a few things I want to talk to him in the sports booth that I want to talk to him about. Also, while we got him on here, um, kind of break down what happened because you back then you were one of the best high school players of that of that era. You even in this film you see guys like Randy Moss, Paul Pierce, all giving you nothing but props on how you played. And when you watch the footage from your AAU games and from your high school game, it, it, it is just ridiculous at the fact as to what happened to you and how it's kind of come full circle today in, in, in what has happened with 
the uh, the Lori Laughlin's and all that stuff because I'm going to bring that up. But I'm going to let you talk about this film and exactly what happened with you and why you're using this to teach the youth today. Well, Manchild, uh, the story is 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 basically uh, the ins and outs of my career, life, uh, and basketball, and family. You know, hardships, uh, successes, and betrayals, whatever the case may be. And what what makes the film so powerful is I was the biggest player to come out of Los Angeles at that time, and you know they're saying I'm one of the top players to ever come out of the state over the last thirty something odd years. So. You know, my career professionally didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, you know, playing in the NBA long term like a Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett, which is peers of mine, rest in peace, Kobe. Um, I wanted to do something greater with, with, with my platform than what I did when I played on the court. So the film came about as I was retiring right around, I'm 42 now, so right around 30 is right around when I hang my shoes up professionally. And the timing couldn't have been better. We, we dialed it in. It took about four years to to pretty much uh, do all the B-roll editing and everything, get all the releases signed, get it in a position where we could actually privately screen it. And it was completed in 2016. We showed an L.A. Film Festival, 4,200 films ranked the top five. And this is Hollywood. So we felt really good at that point. And my barometer was always, the, you know, the audience participation how engaged is the, is, is the crowd that's watching the film when we would show it and everybody was pretty much locked in. I mean, people would come up to me after it was like, look, man, it was so intense. I couldn't even get up to use the bathroom. I didn't want to miss anything. So, you know, that was my gauge. We feel really good about it and we just want the world to see it. I think it's been out about seven, eight months now. We signed a distribution deal with 1091 pictures out of New York and we feel really good about, you know, the, the, the coming year and, 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 and on so on and so on. Marcel? Yeah, so it came on my radar from a name you might remember, Barbito Garcia. Oh, yeah. Cool I, I go down to his tournaments and I play in his thing. He's got a thing called Full Court 21 over there in Goat Park. When he was doing, uh, doing it in the park, which came a little bit before you, he was telling me, hey, man, there's something coming down the radar. You're going to love it. And I said, what is it? He was kind of secretive. And he goes, yeah, it's Shay Cotton's got a documentary. And I said, no, he doesn't. And he said, yeah, he does. It's coming soon. It's coming. It's in the work. And I was like, oh, man. So like, I was telling Keith, I was telling Keith, um, he was like, oh, yeah, it came out about a year ago. I think it was on my radar about a year and a half ago. This dude, the link with uh, Barbito, he, you know, he showed me the way to get my little slippers and I caught it. And it was the same thing. Like you're saying, man, I couldn't, I couldn't move. I'm like, wow. You know, I go back to the shootout real quick. I have one tattoo on my body. The only tattoo I have on my body is the shootout logo, basically, with my name in the middle instead of Boston Shootout and my number in the basketball. Um, that's how much the shootout meant to me. I, I'm not saying it's just because you're on there. Before you, Randy Livingston lit it up, and I never saw anyone come and light it up the way you did. And Kenny prior to me, so I didn't really see Kenny, but it was Randy Livingston, then it was Shea Cotton that lit it up and screwed out, man. That boy was bad, too. Randy Livingston out of New Orleans <laughs> went, went to uh, Isidore Newman. That, yes, sir. Yeah. So let's talk about this film. So what happened was was that you were, you were one of the highly, most highly touted AAU players and in, in, in all this stuff, and, and you had coaches and everybody at your games, and what happened was was when it came time for you to get drafted for college, 
because I really don't want to ruin a lot because I want people to check this movie out. Yeah. Um, right. But it explains why you didn't make it into the NBA. And one of the reasons that pissed me off when I watched this movie and as to why you didn't make it into the NBA was was just BS. Because now when you look at this whole Lori Laughlin story and stuff, how these kids were paying for people to substitute others into their place to take tests so they could go on. And let's, and let's be real here. NCAA, let's be real here. Um, this Lori Laughlin thing and stuff, they stopped it at the rowing level. But we all know that this goes on at a higher level. That's a whole nother discussion. But I'm pretty sure when Lori Laughlin wasn't shutting her mouth and she said she was going to fight this all the way through court, someone finally got hip to her and said, hey, you're going to open the whole can of worms. You need to shut your mouth. How did you feel when you heard this story about this whole thing where people were paying to have their kids slip through the side door and here you were, you were scrutinized for something that you well deserved, something that you was given over the years. How did that make you feel when you heard this story? I think it just, it, it brings about a couple things. I think about the uh, socioeconomic injustices that we deal with in, in our country as people of color. Um, I think I was so large at that time when I was dealing with all this scrutiny from the NC2A, uh, it left me no room to go but down. And there was no wrongdoing. They never they never proved any wrongdoing, but never cleared my family name. So I, my, my name was slandered for a good two or three years going into college. So that doesn't help a coach in and a coaching staff in, in that, that chemistry and that you know, that, that emotional space that they want to have with the players. That didn't help me going into Alabama at that time. I mean, I was the only guy in my class that we recruited four different times, four different recruiting processes. And I had every college in the country. You know, I went back east, played at St. Thomas More before I wound up playing college ball. Um, and, and, you know, ESPN came up and did a special then because I was averaging over 30 in NEPSEC. I mean, I was doing things that still today aren't being duplicated. And people – have a, have a very short memory, but you can always be reminded. And what I tell people is I didn't have social media. So where LeBron benefited, I did it. You know, and as great as LeBron is in the game today, he did, he doesn't possess something that I had burning in here either. I was a dog off a muzzle. So it was a different day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm Lakers through and through. So I want my squad to go all the way. They made some big time acquisitions as mm -hmm. of late. But this was a different era that we were playing in. The, the game today is much more what I call powder puff, very technical, very, very passive aggressive. Soft. Yeah. Say it, Shay, soft. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's funny because I, I, I grew up watching old school basketball here with my dad. My dad made sure we watched everything in the 80s and the 90s. And like I said, back then, you knew the starting five of every team. Even if the team was junk, you still respected and knew the starting five. When Detroit came here to play the Celtics, you knew it was going to be Isaiah Thomas and, and Bill Lambert and Joe Dumars and, you know, Rodman and all these guys coming through here, you know. And um, it, it was one of those things that you could respect as a sport back then. And it's funny because one of the things I talk about today is, is that the NBA is pretty much, it's almost like, a hit, you know, a hitman for hire in in the NBA, and I said what bothers me about the NBA today, even though I still watch, is the fact that these players in the off season can get together and talk, 
and, and be like, well, yo, you come here and play with me and we could do this and lot. And I'm saying to people, I'm like, you know how unreal that is? I says, let's roll the clock back to the 90s. And imagine if Magic Johnson called up Larry Bird and, Ma- and Michael Jordan and, and whoever and said, hey, why don't you come over here to the Lakers in the offseason? Let's get this chip. Do you know how they would have dominated if these guys weren't respectful to their teams and loyal to their teams? It would have been a crazy situation if that attitude was back in the 90s. It, it, your thoughts on that? Because I, I feel this this era is is more selfish, too. And Magic Johnson said it best. He called the players out a long time ago. Absolutely. I, I, I concur with that. I think uh, in this era, you know, everybody's teaming up. Back then, we wanted to beat each other. You know, my whole thing when I played is I'm not trying to be friends with you during the game. You know, <laughs> we pound at, at, at half court when it's time to jump ball, then we all on the same playing field. I don't care who's ranked where, where you're from. Like Matt, the ball's the same size and so was the basket. And my whole thing was I'm trying to annihilate you when we're playing. After the game, we can be friends, you know. But that has to change and that you don't see that today. I think that's part of the game that's been affected. And the fans are suffering because you're not seeing that competitive edge from the players that you used to watch it. So it's, it's taken away from the, some of the mystique of the game. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, Kevin Jeffries is actually in the chat. He said, Keith is a LeBron hater, Shay, because of what he used to do to Paul Pierce. <laughs> uh, man, man. So uh, anything you want to add to that, Marcel? Yes, they actually. So that competitive fire, did that come from jeans? Now you're asking. I mean, you're talking to a guy who would stay up late to watch those long, uh, long beach games, um, and also uh, building on that, I heard a comment from J.R. Ryder. Now J.R. Ryder is my favorite college basketball player of all time. Um, tell me some of your, if any, experience with J.R. But first off, did that competitive fire come from playing against James? I'm sure it did. James is dog too. Absolutely, the competitive fire was embedded. You know, for my father, rest in peace. This is his uh, anniversary of his birthday today. He's seven years old. Oh, Thank you. He, he he drove us to a, to no end. You know, growing up in Los Angeles at that time, we was just trying to stay out the streets and stay out of these gangs. And, you know, drug dealing and all that was running rampant. So it was like, what is going to keep us on track, you know, to get to college? Sports was the, was the end-all, be-all for us. You know, we didn't see other ways out. So it was like, look, we're going to be the best at this coming out of our area. And we challenge each other every day. You know, we play one on one and stuff. It, it got to the point where we would we would start fighting. So we had to back off that and really focus on our, on honing our skills and pushing each other at the same time. And then when we would play against other people, you know, two on two, three on threes, and five on five pickups. A lot of times we'd be on the same team, and I'd be playing up three and four years against guys mm-hmm. in this period. And you know, beholding my own, and we developed the chemistry, and I would gleam to him to a certain point. And just learn and then put my twist on it. And then it became crazy. By the time I was 16 years old, Sports Illustrated came in, did the four-page layout. Mm-hmm. And then my life was not my own anymore. I was literally living in a fishbowl. And one of the craziest stories, like I said, I don't want to ruin the movie. I want people to check out this movie on Tubi. But one of the things is that you're a dad and still a, a serious work ethic between you and your brother. And one of the craziest stories that they talked about your brother, uh, I was watching the videos, and one of the things that you do know when you watch this film and they show the highlights, you had some serious elevation, and you talked about how you developed that elevation. You guys would do leg lifts over and over, and then when you decided to challenge yourself more, you and your brother put each other on each other's soldiers and did leg lifts 
with the, right. on each other's shoulders. And I right. said, holy Christ, kids today, you couldn't get any kids to do that today. You'd have to have a real serious, different mentality of kid today to even come up and do something like that. And again, that's because we're in this soft generation right now that pisses me off. So um, bless your father, man, because I know owning his own business, that, that stuck out to me. The fact that he owned his own business and um, he told me, you know, in the video how he uh, gave your brother a truck, an Explorer, and then that, that truck went to you. But at the end of the day, you guys still had to earn it. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit about your dad because it seemed like he had a very – and your mom too. Tell us a little bit about both of them because they, they really impacted your life. Well, my father was – uh he was like, yeah, fuck. When he talked, we listened, you know. It, it, he was more of a – a demonstrational type of person. He led with his actions. He worked extremely hard. He did construction. You know, he had a trucking company. He had many talents. He was good with his hands, you know, and I mean, he showed me and my brother the way from young. We did construction and manual labor, 11, 12 years old. You know, I'm, I'm on job sites in the middle of the summer, 105 degree heat for like five or six hours before games. We're mm. early morning to early afternoon, break, go home, shower, put your, put your outfit on your, your, your uniform and stuff. And go to a game. Well, he, what he was teaching me was work ethic and accountability. See, so I developed a mental toughness because I hated doing construction so much that I gave everybody hell when I got on the basketball court. You know, <laughs> so that was part of it. And then growing up in an element where I said, you know what, there's got to be more to it. I don't want to fall victim like some of my cousins and you know my best friend was murdered at 15. I knew, okay, this is this is real. This ain't for play play no more. And I just dove into it and never turned around. Mm, mm, mm. Marcel? Yeah, um, I wanted to jump back to the to the rider question real quick. Okay. Um, did you have any experience with JR? I, I heard you before. Um, I had some distance in my mind with it. Um, but did, have you ever played against JR and what was that? Never had a good chance to play against him because he was he was a little older. And yeah. um, but what I did do is I was recruited by UNLV pretty heavily. And they were recruiting my brother also. So we did like a little tour. And, uh, I think it was an unofficial visit that was taken. And JR was the uh, the chaperone. So we got mm-hmm. a chance to connect with him, uh, Dexter Boney, at yep. that time on that team. And, you know, I, I watched the UNLV teams play. JR was from the Bay, you know, from, from Oakland area. Um, yep. Very explosive. And, you know, he the only advice he really gave me was, you know, just enjoy this process. You know, work every day like it's your last, last and have fun doing it. And I took that to heart. I watched him play. You know, my brother and them played in the Big West. You know, we top team at that time. We had really good basketball to watch back then, too. I think a lot of guys yeah. today don't realize, you know, how far basketball has come, but not necessarily in a good way. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's more technical. Guys are more skilled. They probably shoot better, but there's a lack of a heart in there, ticking. So the skills don't matter. When you're tested, if you're going to fail every time, it's like you don't even have the skill, right? So how did we change that that dynamics? That's kind of what I'm working on now, um, dealing with a podcast that I, you know that's that's about to be up and running here shortly that I've created, dealing with mental health, which is something that's very important that a lot of people aren't talking about, being that I faced about 20 years of depression because of all the stuff that happened. So we got. I know we got to get get you out there because you have another interview coming up. So I don't want to have you run late, but I do have a question that I have to ask you. So this weekend we had the NCAA March Madness tournaments. The men are headed to the final eight. 
And last year, when COVID first hit, the first thing that happened in March is the NCAA had shut down March Madness. And one of the reasons that I felt why they shut it down back then was because of the betting and the money and the fact that there would be no people in the stands and they didn't want these teams to be upset. So what we're seeing now is as we head into the final eight, 60% of the teams heading into the final eight of the NCAA are Pac-12 teams and only one Big Ten team left. And I feel like what I predicted last year is the reason why that college March Madness environment always usually depends on the fan base that shows up to get those teams to push a little bit across that edge. Do you think that these teams that didn't have that fan base in the house is the reason why you play man-to-man and this is why so many teams stole the upsets this year in the March Madness tournament? That's a great question. I think it's up. Uh, it's up for discussion. I think there's there's a few variables in there that uh, that have been really challenging this year with the COVID pandemic, the way it's been. Constantly have to be tested, you know, and and, and the social distancing and things like that. It, it wears on your psyche, and, you know, and your emotional. And I don't know if some guys were a little scared to be a little bit more physical than normal because of these things, not knowing if maybe a guy that they're guarding is it, it has got COVID and is just lying dormant. You know, there's different intangibles there. And there's some guys, you know, when the lights come on, they're just not big game players. I think mm-hmm. uh, the, the bigger the stage for me, the bigger the performance. And, and that's what I loved about the game that I missed today is the, the competitive edge that I would bring to it. And just being a student of the game, I think guys today need to stop playing for the rankings and, and the highlight reels and just play basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Anything to add to that, Marcel? I was just going to ask him, actually, do you still play at all? Do you still get up and down with maybe your boys or some of the kids you coaches let them know? I can't even I, – I, I wish I could, Marcel. My body won't allow me no more. Man. I, yeah, I exhausted my repertoire, and I know I ended pretty early at, at 42 years old to just to be able to walk. I suffered with bursitis the last year. Uh, I've just partnered with a, a company that we, we, we just put out this oil, this therapeutic oil, this man-child therapeutic Great oh, nice. product. Only thing that's really helped me uh, get over this this hump. It's got nano cannabis oil in it. It's got rosemary, devil's claw, camphor. I mean, it's got some great products in it. You can get it on my website right now. Anybody interested at therealmanchild.com. Just doing things like that, I wanted to kind of recreate myself and set myself apart from my peers. Gotcha. Nice, nice. So what we're going to do here is we're going to get ready to let him go so we can get to this other interview. And while we do that, I'm going to show the trailer to Manchild. Again, it's available on Tubi for free. There's no excuses, people. Check it out. The movie is solid. Like I said, I, I, I sat there and I was riveted for this whole time. And when you see guys like Metal World Peace, Randy Moss is up in this film talking props about you. Paul Pierce is up in here talking props about you. It, it is a great film. Um, real quick, let them know where your social media and stuff is so they can follow you, man. All my social media handles are at Shea Cotton. That's IG, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we, we have a website set up. You can purchase the film there as well as Manchild products also and the Manchild oil at therealmanchild.com. Uh, you can purchase the film on my link in my bio at, at Instagram at Shea Cotton. Just click the link and it'll take you right to it. You can rent it or purchase it, but uh, don't hesitate. I, I, I recommend everybody to see it as possible. And before we let you get out of here, if you could play one-on-one with anybody in the NBA, who would that be? Today or just in general? Today, today, or, or in general, whoever. Your, your dream game, one-on-one, your dream one-on-one. 
Uh, I like I like to do two. I like to oh. play Zion and LeBron. I don't know. Yeah. Word. <laughs> hey, that's the body with a lot. Word. <laughs> All right, people. So, Shay Cotton, thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to get this trailer in here for you guys, and we're going to be back with more booth after this on City of Champions. It's your boy, Sister One, Shay Cotton, Marcel Smith. Here's that trailer right now to Manchild, the Shay Cotton story. By the time I was 15 years old, I was considered one of the best players in the country. Oh yeah, I mean, he was like a rock star at 13 years old. When I first saw him, it, it, it was something I'd never seen. The term man-child was devised in order to describe Shea Kyler. Growing up, Shea Cotton was the ultimate ball player at our age bracket. Uh, when I first saw him, I was like, there's no way that this dude is the same age as everybody else. <laughs> we were all trying to be as big as Shea Cotton. And if you were to assemble a dream team, a dream team of the best 14 and under players in the country, perhaps at the top of the list would be a kid by the name of Shea Cotton. It was unfair. You know, I feel like, oh, that ain't fair. This ain't fair. Shea Cotton is the best high school athlete that I've ever, ever seen. Quarter's been all monarch so far. High love. Man, he was selling out gyms since sixth grade, seventh grade. Shea Cotton was like LeBron James before there ever was a LeBron James. If you don't do nothing wrong, and you don't take no money, and you don't cheat on no tests, you're at the top, and you're on your way, in one, in one day, it's taken from you. Just as much as they'll build you up, it's twice as easy for them to tear you down. It was, it was so much shit. It was like, damn, why do y'all pile all this on the kid? Like, It wasn't meant to be. He just had a talent, and he can teach kids what to do and what not to do. Shea's story is important to be told because he falls into that basketball Bible where it's not just here. To have people still calling you by your first and last name 20 years later, that means something. Google Shea Cotton and you'll see. All right, your boy Citizen One broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening to the booth. What's up, guys? I thank everybody in the chat that's in there. Kevin Jeffries dropped the links to a lot of that man-child stuff. Shea Cotton, great interview. Glad to have him on with us. That shit was on fire tonight. Good stuff. Um, I'm so glad I was able to have my man Marcel Smith on with me. It was like a sports page with Joe O'Neill reunion. Good stuff. I, you know, when I ha- when I landed Shea Cotton, I said I got to do this show with with Marcel. I said, if there's anybody that's going to be excited about coming in and doing this interview with me, it's Marcel Smith, man. It's good to have you on. Good to be here, man. I appreciate it. All right, so what we're going to do here, we're going to get into my show. we got about 15 minutes left, and um, we've got 
Headed into the news booth, big congratulations to Vanessa Jean Baptiste being the first black woman, Haitian woman dispensary to open on the East Coast. It opened here in Brockton, so big props to her. I'm actually trying to lock her down and get her on this show for April 20th. Um, it'd be a great show for her to come on and promote her business, Legal Greens. Um, I saw some pictures of the place, and the place looks fantastic on the inside. She's got merchandise and shirts, so we want to make sure you check them out. Also in the news booth, I got to mention uh, Patricia Williams and her two daughters, Nicole and Carrie. Back in 1984, Patricia Williams opened the first McDonald's in Compton, California franchise. Put her daughters through school. One of her daughters is a lawyer. And back in the 90s, her two daughters decided to help her out. And they opened 13 more franchises in the whole city of Compton. Um, they own 13 McDonald's in the city of Compton, generating $50 million in revenue and employs over 700 people. That's doing big things. Black women strong, man, right there. That's some that's some crazy stuff right there. That's not an easy task. So I had to give that a big mention on the show today. Heading into the legal booth, uh, the Derek Chauvin tribal, trial is live. Uh, today they had three witnesses speak. Two of the witnesses I feel are damaging to this whole thing. Um, 911 dispatcher Alicia Euler she was one of the ones who took the call when the call came in and she felt something was fishy. She felt something was up to the point where she got into it with a sergeant um, over the recorded line. And you hear her say, I don't care if you're going to refer to me as a snitch. In other words, they already knew something that the station was wrong and not right. If she was already deeming herself, you can label me as a snitch. Um, the second witness was um oh actually Gina Lee so my bad Gina Lee Scurry was the nine one one dispatcher and Lisa Euler was the Speedway cashier I don't feel like her uh, testimony as a witness was on point she pretty much said that she just saw the police messing with someone outside of her job and um, she found out later on that the that the gentleman George Floyd had died I didn't really find her damaging but the other damaging second witness that I'm talking about is Donald Williams. He's an MMA wrestler. Donald Williams is an MMA wrestler who saw the chokehold that was applied before the knee was put on his neck. And he had told them, the officer, that this was a blood choke. You got to let him go. Um, he testifies this. And he also called the police on the police with the actions that they were doing in Minnesota. So um, you want to add to that, Marcel? I mean, you know, we know what it is, man. You know that. Um, hey, <laughs> I don't want to get into it, but I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get into it, but I'll tell you what, but when, when the protest broke out, I was in Chicago, okay. um, the night and, and, uh, the night of the very first violent protest. And I will tell you what, there was no experience like that, man. I I've mm. been in, you know, I don't scare, uh, take a line from the wire. Omar don't scare, Marcel don't scare. I don't get nervous. But, you know, I, I, I did have thoughts in my head of my children and some of my families, my good friends thought about you and just, you know, things about like how volatile these situations mm -hmm. don't prosecute some of these guys for some of the actions they take. Um, that's really I got to say, you got to you got to prosecute some of these guys. Uh, you can't just let them walk. 
Yeah, we got to see what's going on. There's a lot of charges this time around. Let's see what happens. Heading into the uh, entertainment booth, Disney is delaying the Black Widow debut, but you're going to be able to watch it on Disney+. Plus. It's going to open July 9th in theaters, so I'm pretty ecstatic about that. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is going to play in more U.S. theaters than any other pandemic-era release. We have a private screening this Saturday. I can't wait to see Godzilla vs. Kong growing up watching... All these movies as a kid on Creature Double Feature, I'm pretty ecstatic. Uh, the big entertainment news story before we head into the sports booth, Nike is suing Little Nas X over his Satan shoes with human blood in the soles. Now, for me in this story here, uh, there's a couple of things that piss me off with this story. First of all, I've always been, um, I've always had this thing against Nike where I don't even buy Nikes since 1985. I've always... Have, have not bought them because I was so pissed at what they did with the Jordans in South Africa and what they did to use Jordan to get their brand going. Um, the problem I have here is that Nike is suing Little Nas X over his Satan shoes. They're saying that it was trademark infringement and blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. The MFAC, the company that made these shoes, made some Jesus sneakers last year with holy water in them. They didn't have a problem with that. Nike also didn't have a problem with the fact that one of their top tier um, people whose son was making a lucrative business off of buying bundles of Nike shoes from stores and Nike website and customizing them and, mm -hmm. and selling them. So for Nike to come after little Nas X over these Satan shoes, they're being hypocritical in my opinion. And hopefully his lawyers will pull out all of these other, cause on eBay, on all of these sites, Customized Nikes has become a big lucrative business, and it's one of the reasons why you can't get Nikes on the day of the release because these people are online with bots and all these things and buying like like Little Nas X. They bought 666 of those Nikes that they customized, and they're gonna forever be worth a ton of money. But the thing is, is Nike is being big hypocrites here because they should have stopped this shit over almost two, three years ago. When people were customizing these shoes, Marcel. I, so I agree. I know um, young kids, 21, 22 years old, that buy sneakers at a ridiculous rate and make great sums of money. Now, you know you can't hate the player, hate the game, or however the same goes. You know what I mean. But um, it's to come after him and not go after the son of someone that's very high up in your company. And, and and at the same time, Michael Jordan not even be a major shareholder of the company he built for you. He's not even in the top 30. It's just, it, it's very hypocritical to me. Yeah, it, it pissed me off. And I was very upset about it. And, you know, if, I, if I'm Little Nas X's attorneys, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to pull out every other person that's been customizing these Nikes and buying them by bulk and, you know, creating their own market. Um and it goes on. It's been going on. It's not just, and to be honest, it's not just with Nikes. You've got people buying all types of stuff now and customizing them and selling them and making a bundle and have no affiliation with the product whatsoever. It's a, it's a bigger problem than people realize. And the thing is, as sad is that people are paying these ridiculous prices for this stuff. So it's never going to end as long as you're going to make money off it. Um, moving on into the sports booth. Why did the Lions jump? Well, why did the Dolphins jump the lines in the draft? So if you didn't weren't paying attention, the, the Dolphins had the third pick. They trade down the 12th with the Niners, and then they trade back up to the 6th 
spot from the Eagles. Now, people are wondering what's going on. Like I said before, this has been the best free agency period in the NFL that we've ever had in a long time. Besides the fact that Bill Belichick was making it rain like he was up in the strip club during free agency because it was the first time that they've ever been this well below the cap with $66 million, and they were like the third-ranked team below the cap. Um, Belichick made it rain, and he did something that they haven't been able to do in the last 20 years. Um, rumors now are saying that with the Niners having the third pick, people are thinking that they're going to draft a quarterback, and people are trying to say the rumors of Jimmy Garoppolo coming back here is in full swing. It, it isn't, people. The Patriots are going to draft a quarterback. If it ends up being Mac Jones, if it ends up being Justin, who knows? But they're drafting the quarterback. They've built this lineup heavily. Um, they are ready. They got Cam Newton for a one-year contract that's heavily incentive-laden to help develop somebody. They're drafting the quarterback. And I'm looking to hopefully see them get Mac Jones. That's who I'd like to see. Marcel? So I actually slightly disagree. Um, I think the best prospect in the draft is Michael Parsons, and I think that's who the 49ers going up to get. Um, leading everybody, and I know they just came out and said they're going to get a quarterback. I just I, – I don't know why – you don't got to force the quarterback position in the NFL right now. You can win. With, you can win with a Jimmy G, a healthy, a healthy Jimmy G. Exactly, um, yes, healthy. As far as – the Pats, I mean, if Parsons is at 15, they're taking Parsons. They're not taking a quarterback in the first round. I just can't see them taking a quarterback in the first round of this draft, any draft. But this draft, I, I, don't, I don't see that. Mm. I told Newman, the kid out of Wake Forest, late round, fourth round. Maybe, maybe they go after him a little high in the draft, higher than they should. But that's I think they're going after Newman. He's a Cam, Cam clone right there. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see – What's going to happen? I've never been so excited for the draft this year. Like I said, the only thing that I hate is the fact that they've put the draft on Thursday night. I miss my Saturday yeah. afternoons. It was all done. It was a money grab. At the end of the day, all it was was a money grab, and and I hate it. I can't stand it. I wish they would go back, and I'll hey. mention it every time the draft comes up. What's that? By the way, Belichick is is making sure he does not lose to Tom Brady. When oh, Tom, that's all this is about. All this is about is to make sure he does not lose to Tommy. But the thing is, those boys got Devin White. Devin White is a dog, man. I love that kid. If Devin White's healthy and he comes into Foxborough, you, you can forget about it. That kid is a, a beast. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good year next year here. And when I saw who they signed on defense and then Kyle Van Noy came back and you still get the fourth-round compensatory pick for the guy you mm -hmm. let go to get that fourth-round card is, is just genius – mechanics of, of Belichick at best, you know, so I can't wait for this NFL season. Moving on in the sports booth, Deshaun Watson allegations are being taken very seriously. If you guys haven't been paying attention, we are now up to 19 accusations of sexual whatever against Deshaun Watson. Um, some people are saying the timing is sketchy because, you know, there's this whole thing where he's saying he's not going to play for the Houston Texans and one of the owners for the Houston Texans also owns the paper out there. So they're trying to say that a lot of this stuff is connected. I don't know, but it is damaging. And I also say this is one of the reasons why the Patriots are hands off when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Marcel? Uh, so as a father of daughters, multiple, of all multiple ages, um, it's a shame. Um, the timing is fishy. The timing bothers me a, a ton. 
But also, when you got 19 people saying the same thing, you're not going to pay off 19 people. You can pay off three, four, six, 11. <laughs> 19. So it's tough, man. I, I wish everyone the best, though. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, moving on, and I know, Marcel, we talk a lot about this. We're big fans of NCAA women's. We were, Me and Marcel on Sports Page with Joel Neal, we oh. were talking about NCAA women's UConn you were right there from the get from the start back when they had like Rebecca Lobo and Diana Toronto. You oh. asked me my top, top three basketball players all time. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Diana Tarazi's third. Not LeBron, not Kobe Bryant. Diana Tarazi is the third best basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And and they're doing it again. UConn Huskies are on their way to their 13th Final Four in a row. Uh, you're a big fan of their coach. I'm going to let you speak on that. So just a wonderful program. Gino went out. Um, he recruited uh, to his strength. He kind of gotten away from that a little bit. I think he was, you know, you, you, when you have that much success, you get a little bored. And I think he was trying to make things work that weren't necessarily going to work. Then he went out and got Paige Beckers. He's got her best friend coming in next year. So everything you're seeing this year it's just a prelude to next year. He's got a girl coming in uh, that's that's Paige Becker's best friend, and she's going to walk right in and dominate the game. Um, I'm not – it's going to be tough. You know, national title, I think the plan is for next year, and I think all oh, this is par for the course. I think he's, he, he's pleasantly surprised at what's happening now. I'm not sure Gino expected to be in this situation. But it's just it's been fun to watch, man. They do it right over there at UConn. You never hear any um, on the men's side. You never hear any issues with the program. Um, the kids love playing for Gino. Toughness, as Shay spoke about. You when you go to UConn, you gotta be hard. You're going to get coached, and you gotta be a dog. Every kid from the from the top kid, Paige Beckers, to the last kid on the bench is a true dog that can take. Being coached tough, and that's why they succeed, man. I, I love, I love, I love the program. I love everything about it. And speaking about, you know, it's a, it's kind of a surprise that they're headed to the final four, but it's not really surprising as we talk about this next topic, and we kind of touch base with this with Shea Cotton reseeding the men's March Madness 2021 field for the Elite Eight. As the men head into the Elite Eight, a lot of people's March Madness brackets are destroyed. As I mentioned with Shea Cotton, that 60% of the Pac-12 teams are advancing to the March Madness Elite Eight, something that we've never seen before. And only one of the Big Ten teams is advancing. Why? Because they had some humongous upsets when this tournament started. And like I said, it's in my opinion that COVID and all this stuff and the fact that there's no fans in these stands really played into this because sometimes when you're in a close game like UConn, UConn was in a close game to beat Baylor. They had to yeah. dig deep with heart with no fans out there like they usually have and dig deep and win this game and squeak one out against Baylor. It's tough. Look, these young kids, they feed off that energy. They feed off that fan base. When you're a big powerhouse school and your fan base is loaded with money and boosters, they can get everybody to that final 16 or that final eight to fill those stands. When you don't have that, it comes down to now someone making a stupid-ass turnover, someone missing shots that they shouldn't miss, someone hitting key free throws because there's no one at the other end 
of the stands waving worms and stuff to distract them. Now you sink those shots because you're not throwing off your game. It's a there's a good chance that UConn women's team may make it deep with this whole situation. What are your thoughts on that? And speak on the men's NCAA. So uh, having coached having coached this past season without fans, um, it, at least for us. I'm not sure it was that big of a deal, but I know when, you know, get you get to the college game and the excitement and the hype and just, you know, the level of fandom and fan is show for fanatics or so the fanatical people in the crowd, that could push you through um, certain situations. I'm just not sure that it's as big of a deal as you may think, um, but I can see where you're coming from. I can see what you you know you're saying i i'm not sure that led to the upsets as much as maybe um lack of practice or if someone had to shut down or if a couple players were out in the program maintained i think those factors led to the upsets um and it, it's march madness these things happen man this happens that's that's what it's all about this is the I, I'd like to say it's the biggest event in sports other than the Super Bowl, but, you know, we'll give them a tie. These well, two things the, are... Well, here's the funny yeah. thing. So we, me and Marcel have always talked March Madness for years. And the funny thing is that the team that's ranked to win it all and is now headed into the number one is Gonzaga. And, 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 and we... Remember when they first had that major upset and we talked, me and you was in agreement that this team is going to be solid for years to come. Remember, we talked about this. And here we are, 2021, and they picked to win. And they're now still the number one seed, man. It's crazy. Yeah, so here's the thing, and I wish I could run to the next room. I just ordered some Gonzaga throwback <laughs> shorts. I think Zags on the bottom, man. Yeah, on the side. Um, because... I, I, we've been ahead of the game for a while. I'm not going to list the Zags as one of my favorite. I, I'm a UNLV guy. I'm a, I, you know, they have no, they, they're just not doing well as far as <laughs> March goes. They haven't participated participated in March in a long, long time. Well, it's been significant. But um, as far as the Zags, man, I mean, I think his name was uh, Jeremy Pargo. Or last name was Pargo. That's how far back you're talking. This kid, about 6'2", dark-skinned guard that was just a monster. Um, he was part of those teams that you're talking about. Um, and to see them, they play the game right, man. They play the game well. They share the basketball. They defend. They're long. They're tough. They're mentally tough. I'm not sure these kids are the toughest, like what Shea was talking about, having it right here. I'm not sure about that, but up here, they are They are mentally tough. Um it's gonna. They're gonna be. A, they're gonna be a tough out. They're gonna be a tough out. And you know, we got about. We're at eight o'clock, so we get ready to shut it down in a second um, and get into Biden's Biden's bombshells real quick. Though we talked about this way, way back when the Zags had that humongous upset. You're behind the scenes. You know how this works. Talk people into how big this was because we talked about how this was gonna affect their recruiting. For years to come, because you know, at first, this is a school that nobody really wants to go to. You're kind of sad faced because you're going to the Zags. They've never made it, but now they had that humongous upset. They went far and deep. And explain to people what that does. Why is that crucial to recruiting for the years to come? 
Well, so, you know, winning solves everything. Winning solves a bunch of problems. And they've got some historic players in the past. I'm not going to go through all the names, but they got some guys. But in the recent, you know, couple years, they've done a good job of recruiting coach. Uh, the, 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 the recruitment, the recruitment, the highest recruiter is the coach. Um, people want to play for him. They, they, they want to come in and they want to have success. But also another thing you'll see, and this is a big this is a big part of it, too, is can these guys get me to the next level? So now Gonzaga has to, they've become a name. Then from being a name, now they're winning in the tournament. After that will come, can they put guys in the league and these guys have successful uh, careers in the league? And they have staying power. Gonzaga's not going anywhere for a long time, especially especially if they win it this year. So winning is everything about this. It, it builds on everything as far as getting those players into the NBA and foremost. So and that's and I wanted you to explain it because you're behind the scenes and can let people know that that there's a lot more to this than just being a Cinderella team. It's a big deal when you're a Cinderella team. All right, heading into the heading into the Biden bombshells. Uh, transportation head Pete Buttigieg will unveil his Biden's Biden tax mileage tax infrastructure tomorrow. The plan here is to tax people by how much they drive on the roads, the bigger the bigger companies. They're saying anybody over 400000 is going to end up with this tax. Now, for me, I get it. I understand it because right now in Massachusetts, we pay the stupid-ass excise tax that's based on the value of your car. If your car is valued low, you end up paying like $30 a month. But if you're driving that car 200 miles a day, you're beating up the roads and not really putting in to what you're really abusing the roads at. So I kind of understand where they're going. So what's going to happen is, is that some trucking company that's putting 100,000 miles on the road every three months is going to pay that tax. And then that tax is going to be used to repair roads and bridges. The problem here is that that money needs to go where it should go because that's the problem with the excise tax money. They collect all that excise tax money and then that money doesn't go to the roads and the bridges like it's supposed to, which is why Massachusetts got caught up in that situation where they had to shut some bridges down and get them all repaired because that money wasn't going where it was supposed to go. And we had bridges falling apart and, and beams falling off into the road. And to be honest, people should have went to jail. But the problem was is that it had been abused for so long, you couldn't go that far back to send people to jail. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Marcel, you want to add to that? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, so basically, where funds are allocated when it comes to these situations can always be pretty sketchy, man. Um, you got to get people in there that are going to do the right things with the appropriate funds. And uh, I think Boston has come around to becoming uh, – it's, it's definitely going to be one of the most improved cities in the country – and um, I think they'll do, you know, I, I think things will be done right for the most part. Well, I'm going to be sitting, I'm going to be waiting for this on tomorrow and see how this is going to roll out. Also heading into Biden bombshells, the second story, Major, which is Biden's dog, has a second nipping incident. As you guys remember, Major actually nipped someone else. And you know what? Major is a German shepherd. These dogs are loyal to their owners. They're there. To, they've always been known to protect their owners. Um, it doesn't surprise me that this dog has been involved in the second nipping incident. The other thing is, is that they've changed this environment for this dog. And most um, places that, you know, rehomes animals or or let you adopt an animal will tell you it takes it takes nine to 12 weeks 
for a dog to get adjusted to new surroundings. You brought this dog into the White House. It's a crazy, humongous um, environment. There's people in and out daily, every second. So a dog is never really going to get used to all of this action and stuff. It, it's just going to go into protective mode. And um, you know, I hopefully that this, I hopefully that this gets taken care of because you know how it is in some states. If somebody dog bites somebody so many times, that dog has to be put down. I know here in Massachusetts, it's a three bite rule. If a dog bites somebody three times in Massachusetts, that dog has to be put down by law. So, you know, I'm going to really keep following this story. I know a lot of dog owners and animal lovers are probably watching this story closely. Um, Cause a lot of people probably saying this isn't that big of a deal. So what it nip, he nipped someone. It is a big deal. Unfortunately it is a big deal. It's, it's considered a second bite, whether it's a nip or not. And, um, as I said, I, I'm going to keep an eye on this, and hopefully they can get things straight down there. Uh, moving on in the Biden bombshells. Biden earned four Pinocchios from Washington Post for false claim about Georgia law. Um, he didn't really read up on the law. He thought that they were going to be closing the polls early, and they're not. It's the early voting polls that we're going to close early at 5 o'clock. The regular voting polls are going to stay open until the last person votes if they're in line before the closing time. The problem here that people are not really paying attention to is the fact that that Georgia law that was passed is nothing more than Jim Crow voter suppression. Um, Delta Airlines just came out and put out a tweet of their support of this Georgia law for voter suppression. So for me, F Delta, I won't be flying Delta anymore ever again um, if they think that this voting law, you know, and I, I just don't get it, you know. I feel like this country is headed towards business segregation. And when I say I feel like this country is headed towards business segregation, there's 75,000 people who voted for Trump. We know what the majority of those people and who they were. And you see like someone like, um, like a Sharon Osbourne. She's now been fired from the talk. She's going to have her own show now. Guess what? She's going to have her own following because there's a whole group of people who are still angry and are going to follow that rhetoric. Um, so even though I'm going to say F Delta and I'm not flying Delta anymore, there's 75,000, 75 million people who voted for Trump who are going to fly Delta because that's Delta's views. And I feel like we're headed towards kind of a business segregation behind the scenes. Marcel, you want to add to that before we get out of here? Yeah. So I actually think that has come a, a while back, man. Um, this is something I foresaw. I'm not sure if you and I ever spoke about it, but you know, America's a corporation. It's doesn't. It's not run like a country anymore. It's run like whoever has the best and the highest business interests matters more. And people will separate themselves, just like you said. Separate with Nike. Some people separate Adidas. I like Reebok. Um, you know, things of that nature. And it just it doesn't create unity. Um, I don't think it's the right way to go. I'd like to see a different process come, but you know, capitalism is capitalism and people will try to capitalize at, to the maximum amount they possibly can. So whatever, whatever the max is, that's what people are going to shoot for. And those people actually quite honestly will win. Mm, mm, good stuff. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in the show. Shay Cotton actually hit me up and sent me a text. He loved being on the show. He said, whatever, 
you know, he wants to do it again. So we'll try to get Shea Cotton on again the next time he's on. Maybe we'll talk about his business. And um, Marcel, before I let you go, let people know how to reach you because you out there, you tweet like a beast, man. You're out there <laughs> tweeting with some serious people, man. And um, if you want to get your sports and basketball, you need to follow my man Marcel Smith. So let them know where they can follow you. So on Instagram, it's Supercell, Superman Cell 42. So Superman C E L 42 on Instagram. And then on um, Twitter, I have two accounts on Twitter. Um, one's new, so I'll leave that one out. <laughs> but uh, my my personal account is Supercell 42, Super C E L 42. You can find me there talking to anybody from Razcast to Common to Keith Sinister One Hayes to just about anyone. I, I, I get it. I've been lucky. I've been very lucky on social media. Yeah, we've been we've been blessed this whole time that we've been on here. Last week, I got to ask you real quick and get your thoughts. Uh, I spoke on Elgin Baylor last year who passed last week who passed away. Um, I know you're a big basketball guy. That's why I had you on your show. Just wanted to see if you wanted to pass along any thoughts about Elgin Baylor who passed away last week. Just uh, again, social media, Bajan Bain. B-I-J-A-N-B-Y-B-A-Y-N-E. Follow this guy if you want to know anything about Elgin Baylor. Elgin Baylor is a legend. Some people say he's the Jordan before Jordan set the stage for Jordan. He's definitely a James Worthy, Scottie Pippen type. Um, and just a great loss for the game of basketball. If you love basketball, you had to know who Elgin Baylor was. If you're a young kid, go search him up. You'll see he dropped 61 in the game when people just weren't doing that. Elgin Bailey was the truth. Rest in peace to Elgin. And um, respect to all his families, uh, all his family members and friends. Um, Elgin was that guy. And a world-class nice guy. Nice man. Great man. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to mention to you guys out there, Sinister One beanies are available. There's not many left, people. Sell them real quick. You want to get on it. So I got to appreciate everybody who's been supporting the brand. My Barbara Corey. Man, DJ Bobby Steels, um, UFC fighter Peter Barrett, as you can see, my artist Vienna Marie, Matt Cameron, host of Maddie C Sports for You and Me, Kevin Jeffries, host of Happy Hour with Lido, Travis Protington, host of Oscar Mike Radio. If you guys check this out right here, my man Mr. Melodic, who's affiliated with Bone Thugs and Harmony, he had his birthday show in New Hampshire at Club Jewel, rocked the Sinister One beanie during his set. Talk about showing support. So, Mr. Melodic, what's up, man? Thank you. Also, recording artist Ty Hunt, who's in the chat. Thank you, man. I got your shirt on tonight, Ty Hunt official, as he's rocking that Sinister One beanie. And again, people, check out Oscar Mike Radio, Maddie C Sports for You and Me on the Hoobazoo Network. Also, make sure to check out that Manchild film, which is on Tubi uh, for free. Check it out. Shea Cotton story. It is a crazy story. You won't be, look, you won't be upset. This is a great film. Um, and after that, moving on here, I've got uh, a couple of ads. Don't forget, people. Audios, Eric Young, the first black male to have a patent of, of, of multiple patents. Audios is a wireless speaker that doesn't work on Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. He actually created the wireless network. He has the patent to it. Um, right now, you can invest for $100 until April 30th. Once April 30th is done, 
You will not be able to invest at the minimum of 100 bucks. He's trying to get on Shark Tank. Once he's on Shark Tank, it's only big money investors involved. Um, he already has some NBA backers. It is a speaker system. Watch the video. Um, and then I've got an, also an ad from Astrodenaire, which is uh, in, they're selling these items in Milano furs and leather in the South Shore Plaza. So I'm going to let you guys see these two ads, and then SpongeBob is going to take us home. Marcel, thank you for coming on the show. Everybody out there, peace. Welcome to Milano Leather at the South Shore Plaza in Braintree, where you can shop Estradinaire clothing, local urban fashion wear for men, women, and children. your way here for Astraordinaire's winter blowout sale. As we get ready for spring, you can also receive 50% off of all furs and leathers in the store. So come and enjoy the experience and shop Astrada. At Audios, our engineers have created a breakthrough in wireless loudspeakers. We developed a new way to experience sound. Audios, the future of loudspeakers. Hi, I'm Eric Young, the co-founder and CEO of Audios, and we're building the first fully wireless loudspeakers for venues and event spaces. With Audios, all you have to do is place the speakers where you want them and press the power button. The speakers automatically build their own wireless network, connect to each other, and start streaming. That means you have zero cables and zero cable replacements. A 300-person event that would take one hour to set up only takes 10 minutes with Audios. Our wireless speaker doesn't need Bluetooth, a Wi-Fi router, and has two patents granted. To learn more, go to republic.co forward slash audios. For a limited time only, anyone can invest and become a part owner. We don't know why. We need Kong. The world needs him. can't be two Alpha Titans. In theaters and on HBO Max, March 31st, rated PG-13. Well, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and HatcherRadio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. 
The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics and stuff. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, meow. You guys, meow. Maybe a little more down, down in here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick, my main. We stick together, true forever, yeah, you know we bang. I miss those days, which was easy. If only I made it, no repeat. Now that I done upgraded, I've been upstate, but y'all think I'm playing. And I got a hit now for these weak ass hoes who think I ain't slaying. Try me, try me, and I'll probably end up laughing cause I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit. I got my own now. I get hot, I get tired of fussing, fighting, guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me, cause on everything, I'ma have to bring the whole city out. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's who is it, I come. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's who is it, I come.